So, are you curious? Codex. I am your ardent enthusiast, Kyle Olson. It's no secret that it's nearly impossible to get a movie made. In today's chapter, Mandy Fabian is going to give us the strange, twisting path that she followed to be able to make her first movie. From close calls with big-name actors to watching a hot script go cold, only to see a cold script get hot, what was the magical sequence that finally got her movie the fabled green light? Plus, we'll go deep into the table read. How, where, who, and what do you get from it? Chapter 10, Hell or High Water Time. All right, so let, let's get to what we've uh, people been wanting to know about, to hear about, and the creation of a movie from start to finish, because yes. uh, you are in, uh, you're, you're in post-production yes. on your movie right now. Yes, we are in the which final. Is, which is a long process. It is a very long process, and we are in the final long part of the process. Okay. People have this idea of like, you know, you hit and, and cut and then the next day you've cut it and then a week later uh, up it goes. No, there's a whole another. Yeah, we tried for that. But let's roll back let's all the way back. to the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we now have we, we, we've we established your your bio and your, yep. your, your bona fides. You've done all this <laughs> stuff. You've done. So at what point did you say, now I'm going to make a movie? Or was it that you had the idea for a thing and you went, this should be a feature and I should direct it? How did the uh, genesis of Jess Plus None sort of start for you? Okay, well, it started with the uh, short films. That's where me thinking that I could direct anything came to be, right? And then I did the television shadowing, and I've sure. always been more of a movie buff anyway. I, okay. I really love watching a movie because there's such a great completion in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, ah, it's a story. There's a catharsis. There's no cliffhangers. It's just like, ah, right. we're done. You don't have to worry um, about cancellation and the story not being told. Yeah. And, and you know, I I mean, you, in terms of commitment, you're like, I could, I could, bite this off in an hour and a half or two hours, whereas a, a series is, you know, like, okay, yeah. it's a real commitment. And I and it's my only thing for a while, because if I've only got an hour to watch a night, it's got to be this thing for it's weeks, be the next right? 140 yeah. days to get through all of, you know, whatever it is. It's mind boggling. I was like, like, well, I would calculate up all the half hour comedies that I watched, you know, six seasons of. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> that. You know, that That's was a true. Month yeah, of my it life really adds up, especially when you yeah. get into these like uh, almost sunny in Philadelphia or Friends oh, or God, anything where yeah. you get you know, or, or Big Bang where you get 10, 11, 12, 13 yeah. seasons. And, yeah. and back in the day, it was 20, at least 20 episodes a season, yes. if not 24. 26 is pretty yeah. standard, actually. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I was, um, I had, I knew I could direct and I wanted to, and I had written a bunch of feature scripts. Like I had this real passion. I really got a sense for feature writing. We talked about that, you know, mm -hmm. I, I loved the idea that, you know, it was just, there's a whole story with a bunch of like, like, like pieces of clothing, right? That sort of laid out in front of you. And I like to place all the pieces out and then on the clothesline sort of hang where the different pieces of clothing go. Like, oh no, let's put the socks over here and let's put the shirt over here. And oh, this pair of pants has got to be our closer. And like, you know, I, I loved, once I started to get the structure of screenplays, I really loved writing them. And television always sort of eluded me because of that very thing. It mm -hmm. couldn't be just an idea or a cool right. beginning, middle and end. It had to be something 
something that had no end, that had a such a meaty middle that you could generate story after story after story after story, you know? So And, and also leave the characters where you found them. Yeah. That was that that is a, a whole nother skill set. Yeah. Yep. And and like a scenario, like with movies, you know, you usually have to think of some sort of structure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like there's so much plot has to be driven in the movie, whereas the television, you know, it's really just like, oh, <laughs> the plot is, you know, Barney gets a car. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> antics ensue. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, so I was really I really loved movies and I had written a bunch of movies and uh, I, I it probably all started with I had written this one movie that was very unconventional. Um, and it, I think I told you this one. It was called My Bromance, and it was a story about a, a straight guy who ends up dating a gay guy for 30 days hmm. because he's he's he said that he, to his friends that he's cool enough to be gay and he could pull it off. Like, all oh. his best friends are gay. Everybody cool in his life is gay. And he's like, I could be gay. And they're like, no, you couldn't. <laughs> and then there's a gay guy who's a total player, and he uh, tells his friends, I could not have sex with somebody for 30 days. And they're like, no, you can't. So these two find each other, and it's hmm. a little bit how to lose a guy in 10 days, where sure. they're dating and then they're like, why is he not hitting on me? Why are they not hitting on me kind of thing? And it's and they end up discovering they're better people when they're like he's better when he's dating a gay guy. And yeah. she, he's he's you know, anyway. it's yeah. um yeah, they don't end up together, but it's a uh, oh, spoiler alert. But it was this really <laughs> unconventional, interesting, like Tootsie, right? Tootsie. He right. pretends to be gay and he ends up discovering all these things about himself. He's a better man for it. Um, so. I I showed this to a producer friend of mine, and she kind of went nuts about it. She was like, "This is one of the best scripts I've ever written, uh, ever read," and I I was like, "Wow, you get me." And we started a process of she would she produced a couple shorts of mine, and we started this working relationship. So then I was like, "Okay, I want to make a movie. I really want to make a feature, but you know, how do you?" I did the whole process of like, "How do you get money for your movies?" Right. And there's a cycle that I don't know if we've talked about it, but the cycle seems to be that, uh, you know, if you have a really hot script or some sort of reputation or you have famous friends or you have a really big shot agent who loves you desperately or, you know, you have some momentum, like there's all these things that sort of already need to be in place Mm -hmm. for you to write a script, find a financier get a star attached, and then go. Usually it's like, if you have a celebrity, you can get a million dollars, three million dollars, ten million dollars for your movie, right? Sure. You you package it. You, you give people your script and they go, oh, my God, this is perfect for Jason Bateman wants to direct this or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Now, what I've seen from this process is this can take anywhere from six months to like six years where yeah. uh, Jason Bateman was attached and then he fell off and then we had Jason Siegel, but then he fell on, you know, yeah. and it's this really tricky thing as television has developed too, because people aren't huge movie stars really anymore right. as much, right? Like yeah. you have the Marvel universe, but like television is so spread out. Yeah. That, that you could have somebody who wins a an, an Emmy or or BAFTA or whatever, and nobody knows who they are, and nobody's ever seen that show, yeah, and nobody right. knows who they are. So yeah. having like a Jennifer Aniston or like a you know like a Matt Damon, although he was never yeah. a TV guy, but it's very it's very Just difficult. A matter of time, and. <laughs> I happen to write characters. I write a lot of gay characters, and I write uh, a lot of female characters, and especially women over 60s, like, oh. definitely my jam. And Bless your heart, man. There's not enough of that out there. And 
That, that, that's great because seriously, there's a lot of really, yeah. really talented actresses in their 60s who are just yes. sitting there because there's nothing for them out there. Yeah. So I wrote this really great movie that I loved that I, for me, it was a passion project. It was one of the few things I think we talked about this that I had ever just written stream of consciousness. Yeah. Like it just sort of came in and I wrote it. Um, and it was a great part for an older woman. And oh, and I'd had another script with a great part for an older woman. And we just like, we just couldn't, we could never get them off the ground, right? There was, yeah. it, it, it was just like, the, none of the women were considered like bankable movie stars. Like even Susan Sarandon was not hmm. enough to get right. a feature financed. It had to be like, we had to have a hot, you know, somebody <laughs> right. else. So it was really crazy. So um, that cycle went around. And the first time that I had a, a, a script start to get things attached, I co-wrote that with a friend of mine, uh, Jennifer Carta, the one that I think we talked about that, my first co-written feature, mm -hmm. which yep. was originally called Hemlock Drive. And then it was called mm -hmm. In the Wake of Things. And now it's called Haul Out the Holiday. Uh, sorry, Haul Out the Holly because it's a Christmas movie now. Like we have <laughs> really, it's a great, great movie. Um, but we've had that journey many, many times with like, oh, we have Dylan McDermott and Susan Sarandon and Adam Brody attached. Oh, the financing fell through. Oh, we have, you know, oh, we got Mullen Ackerman. And then, it, yeah. you know, things. So it's just gone in this cycle, this crazy cycle where it's getting optioned and then nothing. And then so ultimately. And, and there's nothing you can do about that, right? Like you, you as the as the as the writer, as the creator or whatever, you just have to sort of get updates it's like you send it off into space and you're just getting updates back you there's really nothing you can do or, or is there is there a, there's not really a way to like put your your finger on the scale is there the thing you do is you get it out to people you know you find producers right and if a producer attaches and they have a strategy and a plan you see if that feels good for you and is that you who's doing that or is that the agent that's doing that um, you know, there's a, I, my experience is, and I, I don't know if this is true for everyone. Well, sure. But I'm like, just like by, by what you've, you've experienced. Yeah, there's usually a, like a script, a brand new fresh spanking. This has never been done before. Script will like go out sure. and sometimes it'll get sold or somebody will pick it up and go, Hey, we want to option this, you know? Um, and sometimes it doesn't. And if it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad script. You know, it could be a script that everybody in town loves, but they just don't. There's not a bankable, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, who's the yeah. big male star male star that we're going to put in this? You know what I mean? It's right. only roles for women. I'm just saying, like, those things were kind of realities of the business at the time. Thank God that I don't think they are anymore. But people are really trying to get strategic about how to make movies. And it's not looking super good, but we're, <laughs> but it's also looking super good. And I can talk about that later. Okay. Um, but anyway, so we were... We it went out with the agents, and then if nothing happens, then you always have this great script, and there's a lot of producers that like it, and a lot of the indie darlings that you've seen and loved, they weren't made, you know, on they they're they're indie darlings because there there's so many people who are going to say no because it doesn't fit the model for what we think. If you're trying to make money in the world of movies, there's things that aren't going to fit, right? Right. Yeah. That's not, it's not that four quadrant movie. Right. So to to you know that that's a really tricky thing and and it's also a thing where it's very saturated like everybody mm -hmm. in town wants to make a movie calls themselves a producer you know and and um, it's a great we will all learn everything about how to make a movie but actually making a movie 
and finding the money to make a movie is Mm -hmm. like a different thing, right? And it's terrifying. That's the thing nobody tells you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, in any in any situation, it's terrifying to be like, oh, wow. No, we're really greenlit. This is really happening. Oh, huh. wow. OK. So anyway, so I was on the, oh, we sent it to so-and-so. Oh, so-and-so passed. Oh, we sent it to so-and-so. They attached. Oh, now we're. I was on that cycle with a few scripts getting picked up by independent producers. We have a table read. We got this, you know, and I was so getting while this frustrated. is going on. Yeah, like you're you're continuing to work, right? Like you're you're still yeah. writing other things. You're yep. still producing other things. You're you're directing shorts and stuff too. In the background, you're getting calls and emails about this is up, this is down. It's like yep. like stock market. It's like okay, these are really excited about this, but this one's not doing as well. Oh, now there's interest in this, and you just yes. sort of have to go great or oh, totally. That's that's exactly right, and that's one okay. thing that I would say. You know, I think it's very good to have a really positive outlook and to be like, this movie's getting made, this movie's getting made, and to see it. I think I'm a big believer in that because that will make you keep sending it to people and keep asking the right questions and keep pushing and keep being innovative. I think that's a great muscle for everybody to have because also it's just better to wake up and feel hopeful and excited about your work, right? Right. That said, as much as I think you should fight like hell for every project that you believe in, I think you shouldn't have one or two. Oh, okay. So what I have done is I'm always writing the next thing. Yeah. And my the next things that I w- was writing were things I really believed about because it's not good. I it's very hard for me to write things I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that's just how that's my brand. That's how sure. I work. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm also I started to sort of sort of write things that I that felt doable. I started to think about movies in terms of. Okay. In terms of, well, you know, there's that ranch, like my, my grandparents have a ranch in uh, South Dakota, so maybe I could, huh, is there a story I could make out of a small town, Chamberlain, to, you know, I know yeah. a bunch of people in Harper, Texas, where I grew up, I'm like, is there a, I've written many things that, that I imagine shooting there, because I'm like, I know my friend has a ranch with two houses, I could house a whole crew there, and I could shoot yeah. on that long street, and I have friends all over town, and I could use the, you know, I could use the Longhorn Cafe for my little restaurant, like... There, I definitely started to think in terms of that because, and there's this really great guy, um, he's a great producer, Mark Stoloroff. He's produced a couple of my buddies' film films, Henry Burials, has, he's a writer-director, and Mark produced a couple of his films, and he also produced the movie that my husband did. Hmm. So this is the thing. So I'm writing and directing, and I'm trying, like, anything to get a movie off the ground, and then this guy, Henry's like, let's make a movie with my husband. <laughs> and they did. They huh. He wrote it. They shot it. They got it. Looks beautiful. It, you know, it it didn't it it didn't like go to Sundance or anything, but yeah. it did a bunch of festivals. It got bought by IFC, and now it's on television. Right now, it's on Hulu. Hey, yeah, right. And I'm sitting there going, "What is the difference <laughs> right. between Henry and me?" You know. And the truth yeah. is, it was really just that like. Uh, this guy, Mark, he does this. I think it's called No Budget Film School is what is okay. his website. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been there. Mark Stoloroff is his name. But he's just he's so great because he really believes that there are a lot of really great stories that are trapped in this need for a million dollars. And you can you can be very innovative. You can write to your resources. You can make a great story that's very doable. And these days with indie film being the way that it is, it's kind of the new model. And it's it's a 
really cool, like theater, right? There's, sometimes there's a great, there's great creativity that comes from lack, you know, you can't show, yeah. the, you don't have the budget for the spaceship. So how do you fake a spaceship on the stage, right? How do right. you get the alien arrival with what you have? That That's the same thing for indie film. I, and I always played with that with my shorts. Like I love to get, I loved, like my first short had a quote unquote, like a car crash, right? Uh-huh. And I just did a cool angle and like had the guy go like this, like he's seeing a car and I had and a sound effect and a and a hubcap that rolls on the street, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just fake stuff. So I, so anyway, I that was something that I I got excited about creatively too. And I wrote a movie that I thought was gonna be so easy to do because it was my hell or high water movie. And from the beginning I was like, I'm making this movie. I don't care if I'm shooting it on iPhones. I don't care <laughs> if I'm bringing 10 of my people, my friends who are great actors, up to the camp. And we're all going to literally camp for four days. And we're going to shoot this movie in, in like real time. Like, I don't, I, I was like, I don't, this is how I'm going to do this. And this was a feature? Yes. Okay. Um, so, so it really was like that story. I wrote a story that could happen in three days. Yep. It, that happened in three so, yeah, days you, you, at a you, campground. You, you wrote to your limitations, which is mm-hmm. always great. Yep. Uh, and then, like, shot that uh, something you could shoot, so it didn't involve cranes or drones or you yep. know, big explosions. Yep. I wrote for actors that I knew and loved, and I made it very yeah. what I love about rom coms, right? Because it's a it's a it's like sort of an anti rom com because it's the lead ends up uh, single and happy. That was another nice. goal of mine. I wanted to write a, a movie where the woman learns to love herself at the end and not I know that it's way more charming than what I just said that sounds very <laughs> but I was excited to see that you know sure. it was like oh wow she's she kind of gets it at the end anyway so I I wrote with all of my limitations yeah. in mind and also what I had I knew I had great, great actors that I knew and loved that would definitely go and camp in the woods with me and I believed in my ability to make it interesting and cool and good even though it wasn't the traditional way that people do this. And I was never afraid of that. So hmm. I wrote a script. I loved it. I had table reads. Okay. You know, because you always have to table read your scripts. Sure. Because you'll really understand. Yeah. What did that, okay, specifically in this situation, what did that process teach you? I mean, like uh, hearing the words out, out loud, obviously for dialogue, it's a big thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I thought that. That you know, like I, in my head, I, they went da 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 da, and you went da 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 da, and it's like that kind of thing. You know, it's like or or boy, that line didn't work at all. Uh, but like specifically for this one, hearing it out, did you just hear that like what dialogue works, or did you actually feel like oh, we need a scene here, or that needs to go? Yes, well, from what you remember, I know it was years ago. No, I I do remember the. Here's what I love about table reads is. You know, there's these there's magic that happens, which is if an actor is fumbling over a line, mm-hmm. you can always tell the difference. Like some of sometimes it's like, oh, I guess you didn't read the script before. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> that's always a fun thing because you don't want to call them out, but at the same time, we all know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If there's any yeah. actors listening, always mm-hmm. read the script before. Always read the script first because not only prepared. does the writer know, oh, but yeah. the other actors also know. Yeah. And also, it's your opportunity. I've had people win me over at table reads. Wow. Oh, my God. There are people that I know now I would cast in anything, and I have offered them anything because yeah. every table read, they're flawless. Yeah. And you go, I trust that person. They could do anything. So so anyway, so um, 
the table reads, first of all, you, 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 if an actor's fumbling over a line, I love this magic. You look at the line and you go, oh, wow, it doesn't really make sense. They mm-hmm. fumbled because they didn't really know what they're saying. And I realized that's because I don't know what they're saying. Right. Mm, so sometimes it clues you in like that. Sometimes it's like, oh, God, the first draft. I remember I'm like, oh, geez, I wrote the same scene like eight times in a row. <laughs> you know, you start to recognize, oh, they all yeah. have the same rhythm. It's the same story yeah. beat. Like, yeah. what are or they you, doing? Or you have like a turn of phrase that you really liked and it turns out like three characters say it. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there was one. I mean, the first draft, I will never forget this. Like the the two women who were supposed to be best friends were really like kind of going at each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, they're doing that because I haven't been clear. Like I haven't made it clear how good friends they are to this moment. Yeah. So that was a thing that really informed, you, you know, and there were things like I was writing an ensemble comedy and that while I love ensemble comedies, people mm-hmm. really do need their main hook. Yes. They need their one person that they kind of can identify with or follow or want to follow that one story. So I ended up, it was really a fully ensemble comedy, and I ended up going back and doing another pass on it to make it a little bit more of this one character story. And it kind of was her story, but I just fattened it up a little bit. Yeah, the, the the forgettable movie Graveyard is full of of ones that people that do that. You know, because like, there's a lot of them that you're like, wow, everyone in this movie are amazingly talented people, but it just doesn't ever come together. And you yeah. go like, how can you get this much talent and not do it? I think that's part of it is not having that that hook, that through line, that something that the audience can get onto. It's just a bunch of people talking at each other. Yeah. Yes. I don't want to call any movies out, but I think we all know (laughs) (laughs) some ones that you've watched and gone, oh. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so the table read is really helpful for me for that. And also with a comedy, I don't know how it is for drama, dramatic, Mm. except people are crying, I I guess, because. And a lot more pauses, I would think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. well, there is that, too. Like, yeah. you kind of just fast. get the sense of like, because actors are so good at going, well, I'm doing something in this scene. I'm trying to yes. accomplish something. I have an objective. Right. Yeah. And so you learn really fast if you're like, oh, I haven't given them anything to do. They don't know right. what they're doing because the script doesn't know what they're doing. And yeah. that's that's really helpful, you know, because you when you're writing it, it all sounds so great to you. And, and that you're to your point, too. Uh, you know, with the rhythm of how things should mm-hmm. go. It's yeah. so great when an actor takes your idea and makes it their own and it still works because yeah. then you go, oh, okay. And if you've had a few table reads and that joke always kills or, you know, for me with comedy, I'm always listening for where they laugh, but I want those guaranteed laughs, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it really can also help you to decide what to cut and what not to cut, you know? Yeah. The laughs are an important thing, and the redundancy is important. Yeah, we have. I shot this little pilot, and um, it was it was an indie pilot, and but my friend came, Brian Palermo. He's a he's a groundling and an improv guy, and mm. he did one part. Literally, his part was taking opening the car door for a woman mm-hmm. and escorting her into the house. That's it. That was yeah. that was all he had to do, and every time he did it, we would bust out laughing. <laughs> I, it was a walk from a car to the house. And he did it in a funny way. We were like, oh, Brian Palermo. Like, it was amazing. You know, you go, that's why you, you, that's why you cast a really talented guy for that one tiny little part, because it makes yeah. a difference, right? Yeah, it's that, it's that funny bones. 
Yeah. You know, it's like some people just have that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really that's a really great thing about table reads is to again to see and also for me it's a uh you know that's the time where you really have to hear notes. Okay. And you're so in your head about it. You hear notes and my rule for notes is always like look if I get the same note four times Mm-hmm. Different different table reads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because right. when you know, when everybody's in a room, everybody yeah. will get swayed over to the strongest note in the room sometimes. Yeah. Right? So I obviously because well, because it's my podcast, I guess well I'll take us into the into the weeds. I like to go into the minutiae. So sure. <laughs> when yeah. you when you do this when you, and you have like your table read, so where I guess uh, we'll we'll talk specifically about this one. Where were you having this? Was this uh, like your first one? You did you do like a living room, mm-hmm. like or did you get like a like an office space kind of thing? Like where? What is the environment like that you would get people together? I've done conference rooms. Okay. I've done living rooms. I've done around a kitchen table. Okay. I've done um, theaters that you know we got for the day. It's wherever you can have enough tables and chairs and pencils and scripts and water bottles and, you know, that everybody feels comfortable and it feels professional. Do you feed them? Uh, That's an interesting question. It depends on what time it is. Generally, people don't want to eat. and But I always have something because in case they show up hungry, they need something, right? Right, exactly. Nuts and fruit and, you know. I have had the occasional like, hey, there's chili on the stove. If it's a dinner time thing, I'll have ever sure. I'll feed everybody. Um, if it's at my house, you know. Yeah. But but for the most part, it's you know it's just yes, you do provide you definitely provide water and pencils and scripts for everybody. Sure. And and, and so you you do you find different you get different results based on environment or is it just like yeah we're no. acting we're getting together no it's just like it's it is what it is no matter where you are. No, act. I mean, the actors that I've worked with are just so good. Like I said, the only the one time I've ever seen an actor be unprofessional is when they clearly had not mm-hmm. read the script, worked on the jokes. Yes. If they blow jokes repeatedly, yeah. then yeah. you're like, whoa, you can't yeah. do that. You, you got to <laughs> you. I, I get the best actors I can because I know that if they can't make it work, nobody can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a very funny story that that uh, Paul Tompkins tells in uh, in um, Laboring Under Delusions is a special, which is about all the jobs he's held, and one of them was he got to be an actor in in Paul Thomas Anderson movies. So he got to be do at the script read for Magnolia, ah! and all the cast of Magnolia were there. Oh, so. When he and so Tom Cruise is there and Jason Robards is there. I mean, like they're you know John C. Riley is there. They're all oh there. Oh my god! And so he shows up and says, "Oh, you you read all the scripts?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I read the script." He's like, "Okay, well, we have a couple extra parts that you're going to be playing because the other people didn't show up." And so he had to. He had like ten characters. That, that's a big ensemble movie. He had like ten characters he had to portray oh. on the spot. And so he and so he'd be going along and he said, like, he's like, it's one thing when, you know, like the everything stops and you realize, oh, crap, I'm that person, too. But it's another thing when that happens. And Tom Cruise turns to you and goes, ah, I think that's your line there, buddy. Oh, no. <sighs> thank, thank you. Biggest movie star in the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really funny. Uh, yeah, what so does if, Tom Cruise know? <laughs> So oh wait! Those who want to hear a, 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 a much a, a story much better told by him, check out that <laughs> oh, that God. special. It's very very funny. Uh, so okay, so um, so then then each are you having the same people 
back and like when you like so you do one you 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 get the notes you have the stuff then you go and you set up another one to see sort of what the new draft as yep. i guess yep are you having the same people around the table so this is interesting because this gets into a little bit of how you're going to get a movie made yes there we go uh so okay so you start I, I assume you start your house and then you sort of get more quote unquote professional as you are sort no. of looking for money and actors to hire? So, yes, if you, well, yes and no. If you, you don't hire actors by table reading them. Okay. Right? That's not like, I mean, if you have a friend who you want to see how they do with a role, you know, okay. I mean? you, you know, and you like them and you think they might be right for it, that that's yeah. a great opportunity for them to show themselves to the producers because it could be like, oh, we don't care that he or she isn't a name that we've got to have them, right? Okay. Then like, before before you go on, yeah. Who else is in the room then? Like oh. besides, so so you're there obviously yeah. at the table doing yeah. stuff. You have a bunch of the actors who are doing the roles, and yes. then who else is sort of around? So if there are producers attached, generally, okay. generally, if producers are attached, then yes, yeah. the producers come. Okay. Uh, uh, if I'm in the early stages of a script and I'm doing table reads to hear the words and to figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah, it's usually just me, okay. and I'm and I might, I might invite writer friends or friends who love movies and love to talk about movies just yeah. to hear it, because I think it's also very good to have people who are just hearing and not reading. Yes. Um, so so, you, so always, you do you have a little bit of an audience? That I you do. Sort of I have like, two or three people. Okay. Generally, it depends on what I can get, but generally, well, sure. there's always somebody who wants to hear and talk about it, which is great. Yeah. Um, and so you you get. Uh, you get people who you you learn to trust that they give really good notes and that they have good insights. Yeah. Um, and again, I I found that notes are more effective the more people because it gives you that great balance of oh well you know six out of ten people had that note and agreed with that hmm. or wow half the room didn't get the the ending I thought it was just my husband but like wow more people than just you know and yeah. also you get the great great um equalizing perspective of oh i hate that scene you got to cut that scene and then there's another person who's like that was my favorite scene in the whole thing <laughs> so it, it, it's great yeah. actually because then if you love that scene then you can go listen is it really a problem or did that person just not like it like there's you know you kind of yeah. go well i need to choose based on how i feel about it <laughs> instead yeah. of it's not really a note it's like a preference and that's, you know, that's a writer's decision to make. Right. Um, but, yeah, so I always have a few people because, yeah, I think maybe it does. I don't know. Everybody's always so good. They always bring their best. I don't <laughs> oh, think nice. about it as providing an audience. I think about it as having ears that aren't um, that aren't reading it. I, and then you need yeah. someone to read the stage directions. I think it's really important as a writer to hear it and not read the stage directions. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you if you actually did anything, or are you just sitting back? I have read the stage directions. Okay. If it's a if it's a really quickie, like I'll even have people come over to read scenes out loud. Oh wow. It, uh, yeah, that's rare, more rare, but yeah, it, it's so helpful, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you get to the the end part, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, you had a, a thing you were going, and I keep taking you off on other things because no. I keep thinking of other diversions of stuff I want to ask. Yeah. Um, when you get to okay, so you, you finish the read through, and then mm -hmm. you get to the part where you doing the Q and A. Are do you run that, or do you have somebody sort of like, all right, let's talk about what we had here, like what? 
So, yes. I've, had, I've done both ways. I've had the director essentially do it, and that was okay. <laughs> I've tried to do it and got nothing, and I've also had a professional do it, and I was like, this is how I want it every single time because she was so good. So I think it depends on who has set up the table read and for okay. what reason. Sure. Um, when the producers are the ones that set up the table read because they want to hear it out loud and they want to maybe use it to help pitch or they want to get feedback from people that they trust, you know, uh, yeah. generally then they would probably lead that. Um, okay. I, I am the writer and the director on most of the projects. Right. So when I'm the writer and the director, I usually am right in there. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Um, when it's a work in progress and I'm the one taking the notes and interpreting the notes. Yeah. Um, when it's a, that's a really good question, actually. When it's just me as a writer, generally mm -hmm. the producers do lead more or the director would lead more because the writers are just taking notes on what people are saying. And then we yeah. take it all away and we will interpret all of it. Um, that's the experience I had with that. Um, the, then the other uh, thing is when you go to, when you do a screening mm -hmm. it, during a screening, when people are giving notes on an actual movie, generally the writer, director and, or both will mm -hmm. actually leave the room. Oh, interesting. Or there will be an anonymous survey that people will fill yeah. out and write stuff down or they'll do yep. it on their I've done a, I've computers. I've done a couple of those. Yeah, because yeah. because for, for whatever reason, once it's actually done, people need to be brutally honest, but they have a hard time doing that if they think they're going to, you know, it's hard after there's a full-blown movie and they're like, oh, can I say this, you know? Yeah. With a yeah, script, especially I think, knowing that you're in the room. Yeah. They're like, that, they're not quite as free because they're like, I don't want to yeah. hurt its feelings. I mean, the script is like such a playful time, right? It's, it's yeah. the word, it's such a lonely, hard process to write a script. <laughs> it's so yeah. hard and confusing, but it's also wonderful when people give you an idea or they mention something and you go, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Or, yeah. or they help you, you know, understand why it's not working. Yeah. You know, you have to I remember, be. I remember uh, I, I left something out of, of the sort of mythology. There's a magic element to it. And people were like, well, why does this thing do that and not this? And I was like, oh, you care? Like, <laughs> I, like, I, like I, I'm like, I didn't put any of that stuff in because I didn't think anybody, they would just be like, they want to see people doing stuff. They don't really care about how the, what the rules are. I'm like, yeah. someone cared about the rules. Uh, Yay. Yeah. I know exactly what the answer to that is. I just cut it out because uh, I didn't think anyone would notice or care. Yeah. It's also, it's really great to, it's like when people develop stand-up sets, right? Mm -hmm. They tell 10 minutes of jokes and they get maybe one or two minutes of really good laughs. And then they ditch the eight minutes and they do those uh -huh. two minutes again and they tell eight more minutes of jokes yeah. and from that they get two more minutes and like so with your table read it's a little bit like you kind of just have to go I think this works and then yeah. people can sort of pick it apart and then you you take the things you're like because you can feel it you can really feel it when something yeah. is singing and people are emotional and like they really get it and they're laughing and they're invested and then you can feel when they're like eh, you know yeah when it's like, oh, like oh it's really dragging right here yeah. like, you have to like make a note like but pick it up pick it up pick it up but it's important to get those scenes the ones that you go like okay this is the tone of my movie this is where it really works i need to do more like that or yeah. i need to you know i need to fulfill more promises of the premise right this is such a great sequence why oh cuz it did this okay let me see if i can make that go bigger you know yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you go about soliciting good answers from the people? Like, how, like, you, 
I, I've seen it where people they like you finish the game, they're like, so what do you like? And that was like that's the thing. Like, how do yeah. you? <laughs> what are the prompts you use? Because I think this is really valuable information because yeah. I've seen it go so horribly wrong. Uh, that like any, any your advice and like what you do to get good responses from people, stuff you can actually use and not just oh you liked it, thanks. <laughs> which is good. Which is good too. But we are, you know, we are social animals. We need to have the validation, but we do. I also need to make this better. So well, I, I can tell you more. one thing that you don't say. Okay. And that is. Did you like the lead character? <laughs> I that's such a horrible question. <laughs> Especially when you're writing flawed people yeah. who are in trouble or in conflict, yeah. right? Like nobody Do likes Do we like Walter White? It, right, exactly. Nobody likes anybody on Succession, and it's a hugely yes. popular show, and I can't wait to watch another season of it. So, yeah. Same thing it, with the rest of development. Do we really uh, like them? Oh, my God. It's a terrible question. Thank yeah. you for validating this for me, because I'm like, right? The worst. So, um, the, you know, I always, as a writer, I mean, generally, what I would say is, if 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 I really, you know, if people aren't jumping in, I ask the questions that I need answer like what am I going you should yeah. really come into a table read kind of knowing what you want to get from this right like yeah. what a good question that I like to ask is what does this remind you of if you were leaving the theater mm-hmm. you know and you were going to go tell three of your friends about what you just saw or you know what would you say to them How, what is it what is it evoking for you did oh, you yeah uh, did you That's feel good. You know, were you invested in whether or not she ended up with him or without him? And if there's logistical things like, well, do you think the Ranger's real or not? Like, what was your... There's things sometimes I'll put things... You know, if there's genuine questions I have, like, what did you think of the main character's relationship with her friend? Like, did you get that... Like, if there's things that you've tried to do subtly, but you're not sure if they're working, did you get that they were on the rocks? Did you get that they haven't talked and blah, blah, blah? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that way, if that's important to your story and you know that, then and, – and, you know, I find that, that once you start talking story with people, inevitably it makes them go, oh, yeah, 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 something that they never would have just thought of if you, if you said to them, what did you like? Yeah. You know what I mean? You kind of lead them with, here's – what well, there's this part. Can we – what did you think of this? Did you – you know, did this make sense to you? Uh, yeah. Did you – were you invested in that? That kind of stuff. Yeah. It gets people uh, – it's important, and I think as a director and a writer, when I was really lost, I would always go with, well, how do I want people to feel after this scene? Right? Oh, like, okay. That's interesting. I yeah. want them to feel like, oh, no, the best friends are fighting. Oh, no. You know? Or, oh, wow. You know, this is the bottom. This has to be the bottom. Or, oh, yeah. God, please don't say that. Like, what do I want them to be feeling? And, and have I accomplished that? Yeah, I've had it where um, after uh, after a reading and, and the and the obligatory applause, which is always nice. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> like, very oh, nice. Yeah, we fit that nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, then the director opened it up and it was just like, it was vicious. It was just like, and it's like, and I understand, I'm, uh, you know, the, obviously we are sensitive artists, but same time. I get it. Like, okay, I like there, there's problems. I need to work on them. Okay, no problem. But like, all of it was that. It was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah. Like, all right, so, so, so really... I should, I should just set it on fire. Is what you're telling me. That's what yeah. I'm hearing. But like, ooh, it was rough. No, that's really not helpful. 
No, that was that was that was super not helpful. I mean, like I sort of made notes, like sort of like okay, there's a problem here and problem there, and tried to be, you know, and and not defensive, which is difficult to do when your first thing. But then later on, I actually had a um, a director run the they just there just for that, just to run the Q and A after, and she was magnificent because she asked all these questions, and I was like, oh, like can you teach a class? Because it was so great. She would say like. What are the parts you really enjoyed? What that you were really invested? What were your favorite? Like, what was your favorite line? What was like that kind of stuff? So then you're like, oh, okay, good. So some of the stuff is working. You start with that, and then she would go, okay, then what were the parts that you checked out on? What were the things that you were suddenly found yourself wondering? You know, what you're getting for dinner? Like, where was the, where was things that you you? And I was like, oh, that's also really good information. And, she, and then she also said, and I don't want to hear your ideas. Don't I, I don't want to hear any any fixes. I just want to know the parts that you thought like, oh, I didn't like this part didn't wasn't really clear to me what was going on and stop there. And I was well, like, that is I want to marry you. Yeah, that's a great note. That's a yeah. great uh, that's a great thing to say, because I wish I, anyone who runs any type of thing would do the those those three basic. Things, and she did more. But like those three basic things, I think, would make every single one of these table reads better. Yeah, I mean. I will say that there are times like if if the conversation is steering that way, I've also seen writers get very gracious and just be like, I know I, I, I know how to fix it. Like once I know the yeah. problem, I'll figure out how to fix that. But also sometimes hearing people's ideas for fixes, you you can glean you can glean like. I would, like, what do they say? What's the note underneath the note, right? Yeah, exactly. So if someone is yeah. giving you one of those, she shouldn't be in love with him. She should be in love with her best friend, right? Yeah. You can kind of go, oh, okay, so, and why, you know, you can get the note underneath the note. Like, so clearly I didn't set up why she would be in love with him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if someone's saying it, but they're offering a fix that is incorrect, you, you then just go, yeah, but okay, so the problem was... You didn't, you know, usually you can ask a follow up question of like, uh, so that relationship didn't make sense to you or you didn't see what she saw in him or you didn't see why they were, why she needed that money so badly. So when she robbed the bank, it was out of the blue for you, you know, yeah, things like that. Like, cause they'll say something like, can it not be about a robbery? You know, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, well, no, well, it's it's called the heist. Um, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But, you know, so then you go, that's a terrible note, right? But it's also mm-hmm. lets you know, well, I didn't set this up properly then. The, the stakes are not high enough. It's not believable yeah. enough, right? So so are you doing that before you send it out? Or are you still like, is there still a version of the script that's out there going around while you're doing these things and trying to do that? Or is, it, is this what you have to get into, I don't know, fighting weight uh, before you sort of send it out into the world? Well, it, I mean, it varies by project by project, but like in your it does. experience. It does. Um, there is, if you have a movie that is very uh, like marketable mm-hmm. and good for the market, that's when it gets sent out. Right? Okay. So for that, you really do. Usually it's you and your rep and you work on it. You have table reads just with friends, right? You work on it. You work on it. You get it to a place where you feel like you've successfully addressed the notes and generally, your rep agrees, oh, okay, it's time to send it out. And then it's sent out. And you don't touch it again, really, unless you are, like, now going to be in the process of making it or, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. If a producer picks it up, they're going to want to give you notes, and then you're going to do more notes sure, and more notes, Sure, a draft notes, right? based on what they yeah. – or to write to a star – Yes. Like, like, you know, like, oh, Sandra Bullock's attached. You need to rewrite it for Sandra. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the table reads in both processes, actually, one is the table read before it gets sent out to see if anyone's going to buy it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the table reads to get it into the best shape possible because your intention is to produce it. And so you want to get into the best shape possible to get it to a producer, to get it into the hands of actors who could potentially attach to it. Um, that's that's the independent production route, right? right? It's not you're sending your script out to be bought. You're going to make this thing. Yeah. So in both cases, they happen before you're going to show to people. Now, I, you know, I had this script. This script, it actually started off very interesting. I mm. had written the main character uh, that she was in love with a guy. And then I wanted to give it to uh, Kate McKinnon because I thought she would oh. be perfect for it. And I had a little bit of intel that um, from my friend that said, like, you know, Kate might be interested in playing more authentic roles. And I was like, oh, you know. That's a, that's a very nice, subtle way of indicating that as opposed yeah. to being like, hey. Yeah. And then my and but but it was perfect because yeah. it was perfect for me because my initial thought was that this woman was bisexual or a lesbian, yeah. the lead character. And my manager at the time was like, don't do that. It'll oh. you'll you'll make it less mainstream. Like, let's let's make oh, this yeah, a quirky yeah, rom-com for all, you know, right. for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah. And so I was like, okay. So I wrote it. She was straight. And then when I had the opportunity to give it to Kate McKinnon, I was like, oh, my God, no, I'm going to change it. <laughs> because I it, it satisfied a lot. So then I had to do Shit. a pass, the sort of Kate McKinnon pass, yep. that then became the draft, actually, because I liked it so Ooh. much. And that's that's the the pass that I ended up using. Now, I tweak it all along the way. Sure. Yeah. That, okay. So that, that's, a good, that's a good point to, to make that transition then. So... Uh, at, at what point do you f- feel like okay now it's ready to to move to the next stage we can stop doing table reads and like I have a script I like knowing you as the writer director will be writing and directing and changing along the way like yeah how, how, at what point do you get to your, where you're like all right it's ready how how did you feel that like now I know it's ready you know uh, I had done my due diligence I had okay. had table reads. I had addressed notes. I I had addressed all the notes I wanted to address, you know? Okay. And I went through several, and I would do a pass, and I would give it off to a fresh set of eyes, you know? Yeah. I would, I, I very rarely were the same people reading the script twice, because I always wanted that fresh take on it, you know? So, like, numerically then, like, if you remember, like, how many, how many table reads do you think Jess Plus None sort of went through? And then, like, how many readers? I mean, like, I, I don't need you to be like, no, not 12, 13. Like, I'm just. No, probably ballpark. four. Okay. Probably four okay. table reads. All right. And then um, also, like, hey, fellow writer who. Sure. You know, like, I know you, you wrote a comedy. Will you take a read and tell me what you think? I had a lot yeah. of individual people giving me thoughts and notes. Yeah. Um, but I so for me it was like the producers all really liked it and I really mm-hmm. liked it, and it, and at some point you have to go well let's go make it, right? Yeah. And because yeah. this was my hell or high water, what was interesting is, I wanted the script to be as good as it could possibly be no matter what. That's yeah. the first rule. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I see things, people have put <laughs> so much money and energy into this yeah. thing and resources and it yeah. looks great and my mm-hmm. God. 
they didn't get the script right. I know. And I it actually, kills I, me. I won't call it out, but I just watched a Netflix original big budget movie, and I got to think, I'm like, oh, this was, is this your first draft of your third act? Because oh, it is a mess. Right? Yeah. Although that can happen when it's overnoted, it too. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Like it could also, be that, who yeah. knows what along the way, but, but yeah. it was like, I was like, this is not well written. Because, because it, it's sort of like you could feel it sort of almost. Yeah. Falling apart the further it went. Like you spent so much time. Things don't make sense. Establishing. Yeah. You spent so much time raising the stakes. And then you get to the third act and it's just like, and now a bunch of things explode? Oh, okay. And the fact is, look, if you're writing a movie for Netflix, you know. Sure. I mean, hey, they got it made and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. it's, it's, it if seems you're like there's an some basic movie structural stuff. Yes. If you're writing you could, an indie movie do. that's going to be your calling card, they're going to, yeah. they want to find every reason to hate your writing and hate you. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's got to, if you want it to be the best, it, you just want it to be the best it can possibly be. So that's yeah. if you take the time, you do all the passes. So for me, but to your point, it, you know, movies are magic in a bottle. You, right. Scripts are magic in a bottle. You might yeah. write something and think it's the best thing ever. And, you know, you got to keep writing and moving on to the next thing because it's it's you either have it or you don't. And it's like yeah. you it's this weird balance of you've got to give it everything you've got and do your best possible work. And you have to know when to let it go and let that be your best for the time being. And that's, you know, so so when we were moving into the like, OK, let's produce this thing. I was like, let's, you know, let me I, I booked a campground. Oh, wow. I did. It was like four okay. months away. Wow. And talk I was about, like, talk about planting your flag. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I, I'm doing it and I'm doing it and I'm doing it. And no one's stopping me and I'm doing huh. it because I had had so many movies almost get done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh the producers were like, please, please, please. You've never made a feature. <laughs> don't try to make this on like, you know, this much money. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't just bring 10 of your friends up to a campground. Like, give it the, give it the, what it deserves. Give it a chance. So yeah. with these producers, then we went the whole, like, let's give it to, you know, the Kate McKinnon and let's give it to Brittany Snow. <laughs> Is that her name? Oh, okay. Yeah. From um, uh, Pitch Perfect. Yes. Like we and, were like. And a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So we were like, uh, and then finally, after we went through that process for a little bit, they were like, just give mm -hmm. us some time. Just give us some time. Let's try to get some more money. Let's try to do this thing. And then I was like, finally, I was like, guess what? It's hell or high water time. Oh, so okay. I'm doing this movie now. And, and we're all, and they were like on board with that. We had all sort of explored as many options as we could. And there comes this sure. time and we all had the capability, like they're brilliant producers. Yeah. You know, I knew how to be really creative. And I said to the, the main producer, um, Mandy June Turpin, repeatedly, yeah. I was like, I will make it work. And I'm going to yeah. make it great. It'll be a great movie no matter what, because the story's there. The characters are there. We can get yeah. really good actors. And that's all this movie really needs. We'll make it great. I'm more interested in the creative stuff than the money stuff, but I'm always yeah. curious about like that kind of thing. So like how, where did, like, is this just out of pocket? Like where did, where does the money come from at that point? Like for this particular project? So financing for indie films yes. is largely... I mean, it depends, right? But for the most part, if you're going to have anything that's like a million dollar budget, yeah. my experience is they're like, great, do you have Charlie Day attached? Or, uh, you right. know, that, that generally is what it is. You can now, as you cast, as you get people, you can then people come in because they get excited about it. Yeah. So uh, there's a real 
real, real thing that people do, which is like fake it till you make it, which is hmm. you go with no money yeah, and then you start to build. And for me personally, the way that I was able to do it was we did have some money, but we also, um, and I had money because people knew me, you know, and they knew that I'd been wanting to do this forever. And there were so many people rooting for me that they were like, yes. And when it, when I said it's time, I pulled in every favor, every favor I had. And I had been directing for a long time and I made great relationships and I went and did, you know, I went to panels and I helped people and I, you know, I was very active in the indie film community and I was constantly helping other filmmakers and connecting them to people and helping people get jobs and doing the thing. So when it came time for me to say, I need a favor, I had so many people go, what can I do? And it was great. So there's actually, there's sweat equity and there's a lot, a lot of stuff got donated. And then I hired people who were able to do it for the money we had to pay them and for the budgets we had. And they were so good. Like, and, and I can't even tell you, like there were people that came up and worked on the movie for free. Like so many crew members did because again, they were like, oh, it's been COVID. Do you want me to come and camp in the woods for two weeks working on a movie? Yes, please. Like, we're all weirdos. We like spending 12-hour days, you know, walking around and exhausting ourselves together. And we were shooting a comedy, and it was so beautiful, you know? So, I mean, that's that's the production part of it. There's a lot of steps before you get there, but yeah. Do you, you, at that point, you set, like, you have a a dream number you want to hit, or you're just like, well, we're going to raise money for X amount of time, and what we what we have, we go. We had a we had a first investor come in, okay, uh, for you know a nominal amount, and then sure, and then, but honestly, because I was already hell or high water, I yeah. was like, well, that's more than I thought I was going to make it with. Let's go, huh. okay, <laughs> you know. And so then, as we got momentum. We took that money, we hired a casting director, we put out a breakdown. It was like, no, 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 this movie is happening no matter what. And planting that flag uh, brought the rest of it. It it really, it really, people got excited. They're like, oh, this is really happening. And they read the script and they liked the script and they were like, yeah. It's like, it's a little bit like the difference between being a hedge fund manager and, and investing on like Robinhood or Bitcoin. Okay. You know, there's people that are like, I'll dabble in this. Yeah. You know, there's a, most people who invest in movies, like really, really heavy investors. Yeah. Anything less than $3 million isn't even worth it to them because they're only ever going to make 20% of their money back. Right. And it's not, so if they're donating $10,000, $50,000, that's just not that much money. And it's not worth it to them because, because it's in the film market. And this is true for films at any budget sure it is a really risky investment it's a <laughs> yeah it's a high return right you get 20 percent of your investment and then you also take part in 50 percent of the profits wherever you however much you invested you take a portion of 50 percent that's the way the money waterfall works but it's incredibly risky because you know who knows yeah i mean back in the back in the 90s would have been Everybody looking at Big Fat Greek Wedding or Blair Witch Project and being mm-hmm. like, oh, I could just, you know, I could invest $10,000 and I'm going to get $2 million back. This would be great. But yeah. then you also had studios who are willing to pay this money as opposed to Netflix who writes you a check and then they're done. Well, and the truth is, you know, depending yeah. on how, there's also a huge global market, right? True. So all the thing that indie filmmakers are dealing with now, and again, this is like towards the end, but that we can talk about this, but 
you know, there are ways to distribute your films all over the world. There are markets. My short films got distributed, you know, and they've they continue to make a little bit of money. And so that's because they're being shown in you know, globally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not not just the states. And that's where we're going to stop the conversation for today. If you'd like to hear more of Mandy's voice, she's got her very own podcast. It's called The Mand Cave, hosting collaboration with her friend Mandy Kaplan. You'll find it wherever the finest podcasts are found. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the next chapter in the Curiosity Codex, but there are still many pages left to decipher. We're part of the True Story FM family of podcasts. Find out more about us at truestory.fm. Our theme music is Intrusion by Severed Personality, a.k.a. Kevin McLeod. The voice of the Codex is Vicki Hall. Find her on the web at vickihall.squarespace.com. And my name is Kyle Olson. The Codex is closed for now.